Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. In 2022, a pair of former ball players and a talented young broadcaster were tasked with creating a college football podcast. These men promptly escaped into the mountains of West Virginia and got to work. If you want top-level football analysis, off-topic stories, and locker room humor, you're in the right place. You are in the gun. In the gun, episode number 63, some more Big 12 conference realignment moving and shaking, some rumors. It's all happening here uh, quickly, and uh, we obviously have to talk about the start of WVU camp as well, too. Wesley Euler, Jed Drenning, Owen Schmidt, it is ITG, your new favorite WVU football podcast. I'm going to continue to say that until I get tired of saying that. In this episode of ITG, as always, brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online. Folks, Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs. You can get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right on your phone. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Make sure you use the promo code BELIEVE when you sign up for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's B-L-E-A-V at Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm still at Steelers training camp in a uh, in a dorm room slash bomb shelter here. Jed and Owen both outdoors. Uh, it's all happening here. Jed's at the beach, Owen on the front porch, the signal caller, the beer truck. What's going on, gentlemen? How we doing? My man. Jed's got a nice tan Jed's going Jed. on there, doesn't he? Look at that. Look at that face. Jed, Jed does, Jed's man. Jed some does. Colors. He does. My, my Enjoying the great outdoors. Yeah. Now, we're down here at the uh, beaches of Delaware. We start the week in Ocean City, migrate over here to, uh, to Delaware. It's become kind of a family tradition for the better part of the last 20 years. We're going to make our way home tomorrow. It always happens about the time camp is starting. So I'm late to get to camp. I had to work around my older kid's schedule now that he's in college and had a summer job. So uh, we kind of have to work around his gig. But uh, camp is upon us, and Neil Brown has spoken. We'll be getting to that. Plenty to talk about there. And uh, I want, we'll be hooking up in Morgantown soon. Neil Brown has spoken, he says. <laughs> I hope he, he has, has. words of wisdom for us yeah. Mountaineers this year. But we will uh, we'll get to all the things Neil Brown said in just a few minutes. But first, so we already know we had the podcast last week. Colorado set to join the Big 12 in 2024. Some rumors uh, that that could not be the last announcement. Maybe this week, maybe here shortly. Uh, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Utah on on the agenda here as, as this uh, conference realignment continues to roll on. Jed, what do you got for us on the latest? It keeps changing every day. It's in flux. Uh, this is obviously a dynamic situation, a very fluid situation. Uh, it, it doesn't appear 
that the Big 12 has done and it's done with its expansion efforts. Uh, it appears that the Pac-12 might be in worse shape than we thought even, if that's possible. And it kind of appears that the Big 12 is at least, the Big 10, I should say, is at least entertaining, entertaining the possibility of courting a couple other schools or not even courting, maybe discussing future possibilities with a couple other schools. But when you look at what's happened with the Pac-12, Commissioner George Kleafkoff finally came forward with a media deal, and you almost feel like maybe he shouldn't have uh, because it's <laughs> predominantly streaming. Uh, I think the number that I saw was less than $20 million for school, a cut of $19.7 million. Uh, it's not going to really excite these schools that most of that is on the streaming platforms. So when you compare that to the 31.7 cut per Big 12 school, uh, it pales in comparison. Now, what's interesting to me is there's been a lot more chatter since we last met last week about, we, we've talked about Brett Yormark and the smartest thing he did and maybe outmaneuvering the Pac-12 was getting the media partners with the Big 12's TV deal to agree that if we can entice another P5 school into the fold, then they get a full cut of the 31.7, which is both Fox and ESPN, right? It's 20 million on one side, right about 11 million on the other side. Well, what's interesting is there is obviously a ceiling or a cap on what they're willing to do, okay? So some people say maybe as many as four P5s will be allowed in before they say no moss. Some people say our TV partners might be more comfortable with a number of 14 instead of 16, which would leave room right now. We're at 13 with Colorado for one more. We're, of course, talking post-Texas OU departure, right? We're talking 2024. So this is going to continue. I would imagine Arizona is the chatter we're hearing the most about right now. But you still hear chatter about Arizona State. You still hear chatter about Utah. And there's even been discussions about people out on the West Coast who are far more in the know than I could be, uh, that you might be talking about a school that's outside the four corners that would leave you with, because they're ruling out Stanford, they're ruling out Cal, that would right. leave you with the possibility of Oregon or Washington. I don't know which way this goes. It's almost like, of course, if the Big Ten wants Oregon and Washington, they get Oregon and Washington. But at the same time, look at it like this. Fox is a TV partner. Now, granted, it's fragmented. They're a TV partner to some extent with both the Big 12 and with the Big 10. Wouldn't you rather, if you're Fox at least, get Washington and Oregon into the Big 12 on the cheap compared to that payout that it might be in the Big 10? Sure. But these are far more complex than that. There's, there's a lot of talk that Oregon and Washington would need to come in at a reduced rate. So instead of the 60-some-odd million that you're looking at for big, per Big 10 team, Maybe it would be, you know, something in the range of half of that or a little more. Who knows what the figures might be. And there's even talk, depending on who you ask, it seems like there's been interest, at least from the presidents of the Big Ten. This is where the presidents have chimed in. On the academic side, they like the idea of Cal and Stanford. Because, again, if they're still pretending that the academics matter, like they sometimes pretend to do, then, you know, Cal Berkeley and Stanford it doesn't get much better than that, right? But I just don't know if at the end of the day, that's going to be enough to carry the flag. We'll see what happens. The only thing that seems certain, change is still afoot. It's far from over. Uh, the only thing we left out was the possibility of renewed talks between what remains of the Pac-12 and maybe the ACC 
in terms of some sort of we had the alliance in the past right that <laughs> right right work, some sort of alignment that would would help each other out because the acc is obviously in dire straits as well tied to their grant of rights there, there's teams of lawyers constantly trying to find ways to get out of the grant of rights by various schools in the acc and their media deal which pays less than anybody's they're bound to through 2036 so that's why there's all this chatter out of florida state hey 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 we might want out of here whatever it might take now when you look at the, the cost of getting out of those conferences it's pretty extreme even in some cases if the pac-12 would want to add some of these fcs schools some of those aren't cheap either in terms of getting them you know knocked clear of their current conference alignment so we don't know what's going to happen we just know that we appear to be with brett yormark and his guidance in better position than most outside of the power two the uh, big 10 and the sec but if you're going to be one of the other three conferences I mean, people keep trying to compare the ACC and the Big 12 saying, hey, would you really rather be in the Big 12? We still got these big brands in the ACC with Clemson, and Florida State, and Miami. Don't blink. Don't blink. Because the difference between the current status of the Big 12 and the current status of the ACC is I do think we are post-purge. What you're seeing in the Big 12 is post-purge. The heaviest losses have taken place. So – it's a more realistic view of what the Big 12 might look like moving forward. I don't know if you can say the same about the ACC because if somebody from the SEC or somebody from the Big 10 or some combination thereof decides it's worth it to pay that hefty hundreds of millions of dollars to dislodge those two, three, or maybe even four schools if you're counting North Carolina, who knows what happens. That could bust up the entire ACC. The purge of the ACC has yet to take place. The purge of the Big 12 you can very much get the sense has taken place, which is why I think we can feel a little better right now. I think that's perfectly said. Big O, I mean, that that that's kind of where I'm at, too. Um, the Big 12 has, you know, navigated this heading into this post-Texas and Oklahoma era, whereas the ACC, I mean, Florida State's making a lot of noise about want now. There's a lot of whispers about Clemson and North Carolina and Virginia and Virginia Tech and some of these other schools as well, too. Um, it's fast It's fast how, how quick that 180 can happen. Wes, I noticed that you have a silk pillowcase on your bed. I do. You like that? It, uh, <laughs> is that one of those cooling pillowcases? It sure is, yeah. So what's funny you're, is I was you're a cold was, pillow guy, right? You're I was yes, guy. and I was totally against it at first, but my wife talked me into it, and now like I I, I bring it with me on the road. I can't sleep without it. <laughs> big O, big O with the observant eye, baby. Yes, the <laughs> cooling silk pillowcase. I've also been told it's good for my skin and my hair, so we'll see if that has any effect. <laughs> Very Elvis of you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, this episode of ITG also brought to you by our friends uh, at Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. Make sure you're supporting Toothman Ford and the great work they're doing with uh, with NIL and with everything in Morgantown. Speaking of NIL, shout out to the uh, Country Roads Trust to Trust Logger being released this week. Uh, we'll have to get our hands on some of that as well, too. Um, but uh, big things happening there. So I uh, thank you to Toothman Ford and a big, big shout out to, uh, to the country roads trust as well, too. Yeah. We're, we'll keep an eye on, I mean, I have a feeling, you know, 
for these next at least few weeks until the season gets going in September. We're going to have conference realignment updates here every single week. So obviously that's a story that we will continue to monitor. But the big story in Mountaineer country is uh, the return of football. Yes, it is August on your calendar now. That means camps have officially opened across the country, including uh, our beloved Mountaineers in Morgantown. Jed, I know you're in Delaware now, but I, I think you'll probably at least try and get to a couple practices and things like that. But we know Neil Brown spoke to open campus. He always does. And uh, anything that stood out to you there that, that you want to kick around here? He spoke uh, for the better part of uh, half an hour. Uh, it, it almost seemed as though things were pent up and he was eager to talk. You know, he was, he was eager to give his opening statement. He was eager to answer questions. And I thought he had solid answers for the questions that were asked. Uh, he was transparent. He was deferential when needed to be. He was asked a lot about how things are going to unfold with this dynamic with him back to calling the plays, right? That stands to reason. The media wanted him to flesh that out. And, you know, the, the, what, what really stuck with me was his overriding answer was, look, I would have never got this job if I hadn't done a good job as a play caller, as an offense coordinator. That's what got me my first head coaching job was the fact that I stood out from the crowd in terms of that job, okay? So he is in his wheelhouse. He is in his comfort zone. We, we all know that the first couple of years of what played out in Morgantown didn't work out the way he would have hoped on the offensive side of the football. Last year, a change was made. So uh, he handed the keys over from a play-calling standpoint uh, to Graham for the first time in his career, really. Handed it over to Graham. Now, he says, look, he does feel as a head coach, it gave him an opportunity to grow because he stood back and got to watch some things that otherwise he probably wouldn't have noticed. Uh, so situationally, he said, when you get back to calling the plays as the head coach, there's not as much communication needed. And, and it makes perfect sense. For instance, if, if you're communicating to your play caller, if you're coming up on a situation where you think it's four down territory, well, your play caller needs to know that early in the sequence. So you need to make sure you communicate to your play caller, hey, this is four down territory, so call accordingly on first and second down, right? Well, now he doesn't need to have that communication. Now that conversation over the headsets doesn't need to take place because he's the guy making the decision, plus he's the guy who's calling the plays. So it's all baked into the equation. So there can be positives. Uh, the question needs to be, and, and it also struck me as interesting that that he said he's been here long enough now to look at the program at large and maybe recognize this, this really intrigued me the way he said this, the style of offense it will take for us to win. Does that mean a style of offense that includes some wrinkles uh, out of the quarterback run game, uh, you know, with a couple of elusive kids behind center, the likes of which we haven't had since 2019 when Neil Brown got here, right? Is that what he meant by that? Is that what it takes for West Virginia offensively to succeed in the Big 12? It might, in fact, be. Uh, but it, it was just something I'm kind of reading between the lines. But uh, there was a lot to chew on there in the better part of that half hour, I think 27, 28 odd minutes. But uh, a lot of questions. Uh, we're knee deep back into it. Some of these things he talked about OTAs and about the impact that could have in terms of not just the OTAs, but the meetings throughout the course of the summer. Most of the kids, they're going to be part of the plan having some level been included throughout at least part of the summer. Uh, so that's, that's the new age, Joe, and it's not like back in the days. Uh, certainly not when I was playing, maybe even to an extent when you were playing much more recently because the kids are together so much more often 
And now these OTAs, which are modeled after the NFL's OTAs, which you're very familiar with, give the coaches kind of an opportunity to meet with the kids, and then the kids roll it out on the field on their own and actually rep things out. So uh, it's kind of a new age over the course of this this past offseason, the last offseason. So hopefully that can serve as an advantage more to camp too. Yeah, I mean, we'll see as far as him going. I, hopefully Chad is still a uh, thoughtful, you know, voice in the play calling because I think he's going to have uh, with him, he, you know, obviously being in that role, I think him having the experience and and uh, understanding that room as well as he has. I mean, we're going to have to control the clock this year. It's no, it's no uh, mystery uh, that, you know, defensively, you know, we will, you know, hopefully not struggle as much as we think, uh, but we're going to have to control games on the ground, and that's just what's going to have to happen. And, yes, we're going to throw wrinkles and all that good jazz, but – we're going to definitely have to pound the rock this year. And I hope just Chad Scott has that influence in Neil's ear. Yeah. Well said that was, you know, when, when Chad Scott was the, uh, was the decision for, for offensive coordinator, you know, back a few months ago, I'm, I'm with you. Oh, that was kind of my biggest thought was, all right, well, he's coming from, from his relationship with the running backs, right? That's going to be the strength of this offense. Let's uh, let's get back to, to run in that football and then everything you mentioned, Jed, too. The wrinkle of the unknown of if it's Garrett Green, if it's Nico Markiel, whoever, the athleticism at that position um, that we haven't had in, in, in some time, certainly. I think all those things point to, uh, and obviously as well, too, the offensive line that we've talked about that is one of the most veteran-laden, and not only in the conference, but in the country, and, you know, has found itself on most of these uh, you know, these preseason lists of best offensive lines and all that thing. You, you see WVU pop up on most of those. So all those arrows pointing to run the ball, control the clock, grind games out, physical uh, style of football. And you know what, Big O? Sounds a, sounds a lot like uh, – sounds like it's pretty similar to uh, the style of football they were playing in your heyday and some of the uh, some of the best years in, in program history. So it, it'll, it'll be interesting – but but I'm I'm with you on that as well too. And Jed, I mean that makes a lot of sense in terms of um, how you laid it out there, just streamlining some of that communication, you know, um, and particularly you know with someone like Chad Scott that he's that he's got a ton of experience with already. What I like about what we have at the quarterback position is it's not just what they're capable of; it's the pretense of what they're capable of that prevents a defense it's kind of I'm not saying either one of these guys are Pat White but when you have an elusive explosive quarterback back there Owen it's much more difficult to outnumber the offense in the run game you know what I'm saying it's 11 on 11 that's right it keeps them honest right it is 11 on 11 as opposed to 11 on 10 that's very true and when you have guys that can do this I mean I have a list of things that that I'm looking to watch for in camp that I want to see and and for starters it, it part of it came out in Neil's presser you know, he said, look, I have a lot of history with Chad Scott and with me, excuse me, with Chad Scott and with Matt Moore. You know, they've been very influential for the last couple of years and what we've done with the run game. Guys, I think back to West Virginia's first loss in the Big 12. It was when we ran into that, ab, you know, that buzzsaw, that ambush in Lubbock. Texas we were down 35 yeah. to 7 against Texas Tech at halftime before we could blink. They were throwing all over us. They were running all over us. And what I like 
even 11 years ago, guess who was breaking things down at halftime in the Texas Tech locker room? Neil Brown, Matt Moore, Chad Scott. Comparing notes, what do we see? What do we like? What do we not like? They've been at this a long time. They've, they've had a lot of battles in and out together, right? And when you can complement that with Sean Reagan, who's been Neil's eye in the sky for a long time now, he has a lot of trust in Sean Reagan as he could. That trust has been earned over the course of a long arc of time. So I like what the staff brings. So now what's that going to look like when it presents itself starting once everybody's going to want to talk about the quarterback position. Okay. I quite frankly, don't care if someone wins the job, as long as we get productive play out of both kids, because then eventually someone will win the job. If you're getting productive play, that raises the ante for both Nico and for Garrett. And eventually, somebody's going to probably separate a little bit more. I don't care if it's late August. I don't care if it's late October. However this might unfold, however this might play out. We, we've talked about it before. We were 5-1 and one, splitting time with Pat White and Bidnerick before Pat won the job because Pat wasn't ready yet. He showed us when he was ready against Louisville. That's when Pat showed the world, yep, I'm ready. No more to doubt. No more reason to doubt me. Now, will one of these two kids have that moment? Maybe so. But what I like about it is I think both of them bring a skill set to the table that you can find your way offensively until we get to that point playing behind this offensive line, playing with this deep battery of backs that all have different skill sets. One of the things that I want to see, who's the, and I've talked about this before, who's the other weapon, all right? We got to transfer from NC State and Devin Carter that we're incredibly high on. I think he's the alpha in that room. What I want to ask is, I don't think teams are going to be in position if everything goes according to plan offensively, to bracket their coverage on second and seven and take him out of the game, take Carter out of the game. But if it's third and eight, I'm saying that because of the run game, they're going to have to keep things on it. But if it's third and eight, you can get a little more creative on the back end defensively. Who's our number two option in those situations? I want to see who emerges there. I want to see if, in fact, Cole Taylor can become the weapon down the seam with that frame out of the tight end position that we think he can. We haven't seen anything like that with that kind of range in a long time out of that position. One of the things that's not being talk talked a lot about, now, again, bear in mind, when you're picked 14th in the preseason and you hope to overachieve and have a successful season, this just in. I don't think the script would be you blowing everyone out. So points are going to be at a premium. Opportunities are going to be a premium. You're going to have a ton of close games if, in fact, you can turn that corner and have the successful season that you hope to. And if you're going to have that type of season in which you win those close games, two things are going to matter. Field goal opportunities, you can't leave points on the field in the red zone. Okay, obviously you want to punch in and have more touchdowns than field goals. We'll talk about that in future podcasts to come here in the next few weeks. But you don't ever want to leave points on the field. So who's going to merge? we got some solid options. we got a transfer and a return guy, okay? Solid options, battling it out. And just importantly to me, we really struggled in kickoff return coverage last year. In a league that seems like every kicker in the league is kicking it through the end zone, and we automatically have a touchback when we're starting offensively, how can we come close to maximizing that as a weapon on our side? So who's going to win the kickoff specialist job, okay? And help us from a coverage standpoint, help us from a field position standpoint. Our average starting point, Neil talked about this in his presser, last year was on the, our own 21-yard line following a kickoff. When you look at the better teams in the league, 
TCU, Kansas State, 27-28 yard line. That seven or eight yards makes all the difference in the world. So that has to improve. That starts with who wins that kickoff job in terms of from a kicker standpoint. And then when you look at the other side of the ball, one of the things we obviously have to start with is the back end. We have a number of transfers on that back end. How many of those transfers are going to hit? If we don't hit on at least half those kids, the only opportunity we're going to have is what Owen said. That's plan A, B, and C. Take the air out of it, shrink the game, and don't depend on the defense at all. But if we hit on a couple of these kids defensively, okay, we've talked for three, four years now about our struggles to create turnovers, okay? Whether it's create picks, we only had 10 interceptions as a defense last year. The more exotic you can get on the back end, the more you can chop your front up on the front end and give yourself some opportunities and win some early downs, put the other team in some adverse situations, third and long, and that's when turnovers are downstream from those adverse situations. But it all starts with production on that back end. Can we get better play out of the kids we have returning? And can we get some productive play out of some of those transfers on that back end? There's a lot of talk about the will linebacker position. Yes, I'm, of course, intrigued by that, but I'm just as intrigued at Bandit. Okay, we know we have Jared Bartlett coming back. We have this other transfer in Tyron Bradley. They're two completely different players. I mean, Jared Bartlett is this very compact, explosive, first-step edge rusher, okay? Whereas Tyron Bradley's more of a rangy, 6'3", two-and-a-half bills. Uh, he played at Abilene Christian for uh, uh, Keith Patterson's defense. So Keith Patterson does some creative things from a, from an odd front standpoint defensively. So he was used very creatively. So he brings a lot of elements and a broad toolkit. So I, I'm interested to see what that combination from that bandit spot can do. Because if we hit from that bandit spot, that too can address some needs with what we have in that defensive line room. And then finally, we've talked about the Will Backer position. Is somebody going to emerge, whether it's Fabris, is that by default? Terrell Lathan, we know the potential that he has. Ben Cutter, yes, he's young, but I think he has as bright a future as anybody on that side of the ball in our program. So th- these are kind of the things that I'm looking at, among others, as we embark on camp. Of course, these things won't truly get interesting until we get pads on. First, which quarterback's going to emerge and win? It might not happen in camp. Who's going to demand command of the offense? Who's going to take charge of the huddle? I mean, who's going to do all those little things and not get his feet? Start by not getting his feet. Overcome those deficiencies. Not put the football in harm's way. Make good decisions. Start with that and then take steps beyond that. But I'll tell you what, I think these two two kids are going to battle it out. If something's decided by the end of camp, all the better. But if not, we've seen that work in the past as well. Just be ready to roll week three, right, Big O, and beat the hell out of Pitt. I mean, I don't care who's at quarterback. Just let's have it. Let's have it a little bit figured out there by uh, by the middle of September. No, Jed, you're absolutely right. That was a a great kind of um outline there of a lot of the questions heading into camp. I like you bringing Cole Taylor into the conversation as well too. A lot of unknown there. So, yeah, you know these questions will become answers all in time. Hopefully, some of them a little bit quicker than others. But like you said, sometimes you just have to let those things organically happen. Uh, thank you as well, too, to GoMart, uh, here to keep you going. Make sure you're signing up for your GoMart rewards as you uh, travel throughout the Mountain State and onward. Uh, Jed, Big O, any final thoughts? Uh, camp, expansion, silk pillowcases, say it now or hold your peace till next week. <laughs> 
I know we got a lot of love for Noah Massey out of our other compatriot here on the podcast. And, and I'm not so sure he's very far off base. Skyler's talked very highly of, of, of Massey. And, and, you know, Neil mentioned Massey in an interesting way. He mentioned him in conjunction with Cole Taylor. Now, Massey is more of a true slot, just a very big true slot. I mean, you're talking about a guy with incredible range out on the perimeter as well. We put him in that slot position. So the combination of the frame that Cole Taylor is going to bring to bear, attacking that seam and the range that he's going to have from a target radius standpoint, and Massey doing some different things out of the slot position, which is kind of a super flex, I, I think that we could present some problems for defenses if and only if, and all conversations start here, if we are forcing defenses to respect the run game like we must, these are the types of possibilities that could present themselves. You could see a Cole Taylor, a Noah Massey, any host of guys punishing a defense that's hyper-focused on outnumbering us in the run game or playing downhill toward our run game. If that works, maybe see these are some of the names that we could use to say. Well, we will, uh, we will find out here soon. We certainly will. Uh, one final thank you to Fortis for roof performance and financial security. Make sure you're visiting fortis.us.com. Gentlemen, great stuff today. I'm fired up now for the start of camp. I'm ready for some college football. I mean, week zero is what, 22 days away. So, I mean, we're going to have Navy and uh, uh, Notre Dame playing over there in Ireland uh, here pretty darn soon. It's uh, Thursday as we record this. The Hall of Fame game is tonight in the NFL. Of course, kind of the preseason game that kicks everything off for Hall of Fame weekend this weekend. So football is back, boys. We're excited. We're fired up. We're ready to go. And we uh, cannot wait to see the answers to all of these questions and how these next few months will play out. For Jet Drenning, the signal caller, and Owen Schmidt, the runaway beer truck, and our guy Skyler for putting everything together for us, the one thing that we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast is Owen uh, burnt his ear. Show my burnt ear. Jet didn't want to. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Jed, Jed's red because he's at the beach. Owen's red because he burnt his face and his arm. This Brush fire. <laughs> he, hey. he's, ready to, he's ready to show his, his uh, fingers to Tina. Tina. That's right. <laughs> hey, it's, 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 it's camp, boys. You got to work through some pain sometimes. And we all know Big, o, Big O's tough enough to gut it out. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week, as always. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 